This is the one that is keeping me up at night, right? I, I am a uh, I am a procrastinator extraordinaire. And at some point, I think it was either last week or the week before when we've been working through uh, a lot of these questions that, that our colleagues have posted on the Van and Vin Foundation student debt message boards that, you know, there are still a lot of veterinarians who have some really complicated student loan portfolios that, you know, probably should have consolidated a long time ago. Uh, but thankfully, they still have some time left to consolidate and benefit from what is known as the one-time forgiveness count uh, adjustment. But you have to do that before the end of the year. That is student debt expert and VIN Foundation board member, Dr. Tony Bartels, with Dr. Rebecca Mears. And this is the VIN Foundation's Veterinary Pulse podcast, special student debt series. I'm Jordan Benshia, Executive Director of the VIN Foundation. Join me as I talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories. Stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible by individuals like you who donate to the VIN Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. We are back here again with our VIN Foundation board member and student debt experts, Dr. Tony Bartels and Rebecca Mears. And we're here to talk about the latest news in student loans. Welcome back, Tony and Becca. Hello. It's that time again. It's that time again. <laughs> Feels like this whole year has yeah, been that time again. Longer than that. <laughs> it's, it's Tony's favorite season, right? That's what it is? Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's, <laughs> Except that now it's not a season. Exactly. It's just a year-long it topic. Ends. It never ends. <laughs> So obviously, since COVID, there's been a lot of changes to student loans, and this year has been one of many changes to the student loan landscape, with interest coming back and repayments starting. And as we head into the end of the year, we wanted to kind of make sure we shed light on a few really important areas that we are seeing coming from colleagues and where we think colleagues with student loans should really be focused right now. It's easy with so much going on to kind of get a little confused on where the focus should be and where the effort should be put. And so in this episode, we're going to be focusing on three major trends that we're seeing from colleagues that we really think should be addressed. And as we go through them, we'll be answering, you know, answering a lot of the questions that come up about them. And then as always, there'll be more information in the episode notes along with a bunch of links so you don't need to stop and write this down or scribble something down. You can just know that those are in the episode notes and that you can get to them. So the three topics that we're going to be discussing today, uh, which also relate to a blog post that we just published, are one, consolidation procrastination, two, using the wrong repayment plan, and three, incorrect minimum monthly payments. So let's dive right in and start with consolidation procrastination. What's the latest, Tony and Becca, with consolidation options for colleagues with student loans? Yeah, this this is the this is the one that is keeping me up at night, right? I, I am a uh, I am a procrastinator extraordinaire. And at some point, I think it was either last week or the week before when we've been working through uh, a lot of these questions that that our colleagues 
have posted on the Van and Vin Foundation student debt message boards that, you know, there are still a lot of veterinarians who have some really complicated student loan portfolios that, you know, probably should have consolidated a long time ago. Uh, but thankfully, they still have some time left to consolidate and benefit from what is known as the one-time forgiveness count uh, adjustment. Um, but you have to do that before the end of the year. And, you know, the more I look at the calendar, I'm like, holy crap, it's it's November, right? I mean, we're, right. we're really getting close here. And, you know, the, the part that I think has um, complicated things is, what, you know, this also aligns with the restart of repayment and the release of a new repayment option. And the loan services are, are were already incompetent, but now they're even more bogged down. So, things are taking longer than they should. And, you know, staring at November, you still have time to consolidate if it makes sense for you to do so. But it pretty much has to go right the first time for you to get it through before the end of this year, right? That's kind of where we are, right? And and with so many of our colleagues, again, th these are folks that graduated uh, a while ago, right? Because the more complicated loan portfolios are the ones that contain multiple different loan types, right? So direct loans and federal family education loans, commonly known as FELs, are the ones that tend to complicate loan portfolios. And FELs uh, were the precursor to direct loans. So anybody that was in higher education and using student loans around 2000, 2010 or before could have these loans in their portfolio. And, and, and most people don't even know unless they look, right? And uh, kind of the old adage, more, more is missed by, by not looking than not knowing. And, and we really just need you all to look, right? Take a look at your student loans, go grab a federal student aid data file in the studentaid.gov portal and upload it into the free VIN Foundation My Student Loans tool. It's in the Student Debt Center. And we have the technology set up there to break your loans out and show you the types of loans that you have. And there's even alerts that pop up in there if we identify these these federal family education loans, these federal program loans that tend to be the the problem children of the federal student loan program, right? And this is this is kind of the impetus for benefits like the one-time forgiveness count adjustment, right? It's so complicated that they want to make it easier but they can't do it automatically, right? These federal family education loans, some of them are, are are called privately held, which means they're contractually obligated in a way that, you know, benefits some of these private holders of these, but they're still federally backed loans, right? So you have to consolidate them to get them fully into the federally held universe of the direct loan system. So then you are eligible for all of the goodies and new benefits and new repayment plans uh, that have been announced and are in place now, right? So that's where the confusing and complicated nature comes into play. Not to mention that consolidation in the past was kind of a bad thing. If you consolidated your loans previously, before a lot of these changes have been made over the last couple of years, it would restart your repayment clock, right? But that's what that one-time forgiveness count adjustment is about and why it's so beneficial is that it suspends that, right? It's going to give you credit for the time that you've already spent in repayment, particularly towards forgiveness, and it could even add more. 
So if you have older loans that have repayment time that extends beyond the loans that you use for veterinary school, you could even boost your forgiveness time. And the more forgiveness time you have, the sooner you'll reach forgiveness, the less you'll pay towards your student loans. So this is why this is so imperative. And you know we're really just trying to make a last second push here to make sure everyone who has these complicated loan portfolios has an opportunity to benefit from consolidating and receiving that one-time forgiveness count adjustment. And that's here something that we hear a lot, right, is that people are concerned that if they do this, that how is that going to impact their forgiveness time? Yeah, exactly. And it's going to help it. Right. So it's, it's mm-hmm. you, now nobody can really see exactly what their forgiveness time is right now, which is part of the stress and, and, and one of the uh, failures of the of the federal student loan system to date. But as part of this one time forgiveness count adjustment in 2024, everybody is going to get to see what their official forgiveness count is. And that will be a metric that is contained in your student aid file and one that you'll be able to track going forward so you know how far away you are from reaching forgiveness. And you also have some data to then discuss with your loan servicer if they tell you something else, right? So that's another um, thing to look forward to, but you wanna make sure that that count is as high as it possibly can be. And for many of you, that's going to require you to consolidate. But in order for that, to get that maximum count adjustment, you have to submit that consolidation loan application before the end of this year. And so once you submit that application to consolidate, does the Department of Education give you an estimated payoff date? Oh God, yeah, that's that's one of the issues, right? So the consolidation system is still kind of using the old language in there, right? So it's not reflecting any of the account adjustment language. It's not reflecting any of your existing repayment time, because again, it doesn't have that data in the system to use. So it assumes you're starting repayment from zero. So it will show you a payoff date that is 20 or 25 years in the future, depending on the repayment plan that you're looking at. And then most people hit the brakes and are like, oh, I don't want to do this, right? Or they'll come back and ask a question. But just know that the forgiveness count adjustment trumps what is shown in that consolidation application. And you will get credit for the time that you've been in repayment, if not more, depending on the history of the loans that you're including in that consolidation. Okay. And what about, you know, are there instances in which you should not consolidate your student loans? Yeah. So if, if you have already consolidated your loans, so if you graduated from veterinary school and you consolidated all of your loans into a direct consolidation loan, uh, then there's nothing left for you to do, right? So all of your loans are, are what I call fully consolidated. Then you just have to wait until the count is applied, or you can look at your loans, see if there's a, a more beneficial repayment option that you could use, see what that monthly payment is, what it could be given maybe changes to your family size and your income over the last few years, uh, because nobody's had to update their income during the pandemic forbearance period. So uh, basically, it's just more of a, a general check-in on your student loans. You don't have to consolidate your loans again if they've already been consolidated. Um, the the exception to that would be if you have federal family education or FEL consolidated loans, right? So again, one of the complicating natures of these old FEL program loans is you could also consolidate those into a FEL consolidation loan back before 2010 when they still existed, right? But we need you to consolidate 
that version of a consolidation loan again into a direct consolidation loan. So if you open up your portfolio and you see something that is is not a fully consolidated direct consolidation loan portfolio, then you should be asking yourself, can I benefit from a consolidation? And what, now's the time to do that. Yeah, now and you know, before the end of the year is the time to do that. Another another example of folks who don't need to consolidate, let's say you're a more recent graduate. So um, after, let's say, 2014, 2015, you, you only used direct loans and you only had loans from veterinary school, then there probably isn't a good reason for you to consolidate. Right now, the exception to that would be if you didn't include any health profession student loans or loans for disadvantaged students or Perkins loans. I still see a lot of those floating around, too. Um, you could use this as an opportunity to include those loans into a direct consolidation loan and assign them the forgiveness time that you already have on your direct loans from veterinary school. And I think it's definitely worth the time to just take a moment, download that student aid data file, upload it to, again, the free VIM Foundation My Student Loans tool, and double check this information, right? Because we've seen plenty of people on you know, the student debt message boards that have been asking questions about, well, I thought I had consolidated my loans before, and maybe they have that fell consolidation loan that Tony was talking about, or for some reason they have a partial consolidation. And it's like, well, maybe that's the case, but you know, you do want to take advantage of this one-time forgiveness kind of adjustment and be sure to consolidate those loans again. So it really just takes, you know, it's a couple of minutes. It, it sounds like a big deal, but just double check that information and make sure you're in the best spot moving forward. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to um, overstate how valuable forgiveness time is in the income-driven repayment or student loan repayment universe. Right, so people that have forgiveness time, and now everybody has nearly four years of forgiveness time after the pandemic forbearance benefit, as long as you were out of school during that time. Um, forgiveness is is a likely outcome for for many of our colleagues, regardless of how much your income has increased. The more forgiveness time you have, particularly without having to make payments on your student loans, like nobody has had to for the last nearly four years, that increases the probability that you're going to hit student loan forgiveness under these more beneficial income-driven repayment plans. And if you're likely to reach forgiveness, it generally doesn't make sense for you to pay any more than your income requires for your student loans. You'll save a lot more of your income and be able to boost other areas of your overall financial wellness if you, do, if you take that approach rather than trying to more aggressively pay off those student loans. So the takeaway from this first part from number one is if you can consolidate, consolidate and do it now before the end of the year. And even if you're not sure, definitely worth checking. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and and make sure you're you're kind of staying plugged in. Right. Because, again, the, the people have waited till this point or just discover that they're eligible to consolidate. You kind of have to get this right the first time. Right. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, it it takes too long to reset the process, if you will, and allow you to start it again. And you're going to miss that. You're going to miss that window, right? So uh, if you have questions about the consolidation process or, or uh, what you're seeing when you're starting that consolidation application, then, then reach out or post to the VIN Foundation uh, student debt message board area, and, and we'll, we'll do our best to get those questions answered for you. But you'll also find tons of questions and answers already in there. I mean, 
Rebecca and I have been crazy busy in there, and there are literally thousands of cases that we've done over the last several months that uh, cover this and other topics in the realm of student loan repayment. Yeah, I think it's worth taking a moment and talking about how, I mean, both of you have been so, so busy with the efforts to help colleagues, and we're so grateful for all of your endless nights. (laughs) And early mornings. Um, and and also, there is a huge, depth, deep bench of information in those message boards. And part of what we try to really encourage within VIN Foundation and this learning is that you can really learn from each other. So even if you're waiting to get an answer from somebody else or you're just not quite sure, really diving into those student debt message boards and seeing what sort of questions are out there you know, you're not alone in this and a lot of people have similar questions. So it's really worth uh, taking a, like just taking a few minutes and browsing through those sections and, and seeing how you can learn from other colleagues who are going through this um, and learning some information there as well. So that that's a huge, deep bench of information available. And we highly encourage you spending the time to kind of explore that. Yeah, and, and just a, a quick review, and, and I know I've caught some confusion with some of the webinars on this in the past, uh, any veterinarian has access to those student debt message board areas. If you're already, exactly. if you're already, you do require, it does require you to have a username and password, right? Cause we can't, I mean, I wish we could help the universe, but our focus <laughs> is, is veterinarians <laughs> and veterinary students. So, so the, you know, we do just need to make sure that we're helping veterinarians and that's where our, our focus is. And so if you're a VIN member already, you have a VIN username and password, you already have access to this, right? If, if you don't have an active VIN username and password, we can, have you create one through a VIN Foundation application that we have available um, that will allow you to have access to that student debt message board area. Exactly. There's a quick VIN Foundation where you create a quick, quick free account and you create your username and password and then you're able to have access with it. And as always, those links will be in the episode notes. So any veterinary professionals able to go in there and get this help. Um, and as with all the VIN Foundation resources and programs and tools, it's all free and available because our goal is to really help. So really encourage you that if you are wondering, that's an option and, and it's available for anyone that needs it. Okay, number two on our list is uh, trends from the trenches is using the wrong repayment plan. So how can we help colleagues who are using the wrong repayment plan or what sort what are sort of the regular things that we are seeing? So this this is uh, doesn't rise to the urgency that the consolidation does, right? Because you've got some time to work through this, but the process is similar, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage you to go grab a student aid data file from uh, studentaid.gov, upload it into the VIN Foundation My Student Loans tool, and look at the details in there. Right. Look at the income driven repayment eligibility tab. Are you eligible for the old version of IBR or the new version of IBR? Are you eligible for pay as you earn? Pay as you earn is going to be a casualty in the changes that have been made. Right. So not everybody is eligible for pay as you earn. It has specific eligibility requirements, but many of you are using it or could be using it before it gets phased out on July 1st of 2024, right? So anybody who is eligible for and using pay-as-you-earn after July 1st of 2024, you can continue using it, but you won't be able to get back into it if you haven't been using it or you left it, right? So July 1st, 2024 is the phase-out day for pay-as-you-earn. In the the past, uh, 
you know, I've probably spent the last, I don't know, I think Paige Yorn came online in 2012, um, nearly 10 years talking about how great Paige Yorn and, and how that this is the most beneficial repayment plan for most veterinarians. Now that has shifted because at, as part of those changes that are phasing out Paige Yorn, we have a new repayment plan called SAVE. Uh, that's going to be the most beneficial plan for some folks, right? But it's not as simple as saying this one is the best versus this one is not, right? There's it, it really varies based on your circumstances now. So some of you that are eligible for pays you earn and not using it could benefit from using it and need to get into it before July 1st of 2024. Some of you who I've probably told myself, pays you earn is your best repayment plan, you may find that save is better for you, right? So it's time to take a look and see if it makes sense for you to change from pays you earn to save. Um, or if you're eligible for the new version of IBR, it's going to make sense for you to get into the new save plan, use it for at least the next five years, and then potentially switch to that new version of IBR later on down the road if it makes sense for you to do so. And that that's more of a strategic one that we have more time to talk about. I'm just going to kind of introduce it here, but the people that are eligible for the new version of IBR can benefit from SAVE because it's going to generate the lowest monthly payment, provide a very beneficial unpaid interest subsidy where you won't see your loan balance grow. But the new version of IBR allows you to reach forgiveness at 20 years versus 25 years for those veterinarians who are using SAVE, right? So there's there's a more complicated analysis, but the good news is it's a more beneficial outcome. It allows you to keep more of your money, reduces the cost to your student loans, and in some cases will allow you to reach student loan forgiveness sooner, right? So the wrong repayment plan, particularly in that blog post that I'm talking about is that generally people, because of all the changes that have been made or because they don't really understand the differences, they either throw their hands up, they pick the one that they remember uh, the most, right, which tends to be income-based repayment. Almost nobody should be using an income-based repayment plan, right, IBR. Those There's two versions of IBR, and it's it's almost never the plan that you should be using at least right now, right? But I see that a lot, right? So I see people that are using IBR and that's, it's, it's not the right time, right? And, and one of the other things that we've seen with the release of SAVE is that folks that were using the old version of IBR, right? What I call IBR 2009, that plan is essentially obsolete now, right? SAVE is going to be the next better option for you. And at some point, you're going to want to move your loans from the old version of IBR into this new save plan. Right now, you may not want to do that right away because you have a very low or beneficial IBR payment, right? So the next time you're due to renew, you can switch to save, but you may also find that save will generate the lowest monthly payment for you now, which means you should change to save sooner rather than later. Right, so there's a lot a lot baked in there. Um, really, it kind of boils down to knowing there are new options out there. It really depends on what options you're eligible for, which ones you're using, and what your monthly payment can be under those new options to see if you should change sooner or, or later. So one of, one of the groups, like if, are falling into what you've been calling the pickle. The pickle. Yes. 
lots of folks are falling into the pickle, right? Those are the people that are uniquely <laughs> impacted by the pay as you earn phase out, right? So the pickle is save can generate a lower monthly payment for you and provide that beneficial unpaid interest subsidy. So uh, save has this unique feature where if your payment is less than the monthly interest, which is very possible uh, and very frequent for people with a veterinary education size loan balance, you can have a monthly payment that's less than the interest accrues. Generally, that interest accrues, right? It, it adds to your loan balance. You see your loan balance growing. It makes people tear their hair out. Right, so they can't stand watching their loan balance grow. So that was one of the more frequent complaints that, uh, and one of the reasons why Save was created. Right, so Save has a hundred percent unpaid interest subsidy. So when your minimum monthly payment doesn't cover the interest, the Department of Education now covers the remainder. Right, you will never see your loan balance grow using Save. Huge, huge benefit. Right, the kicker is that. For people with graduate school loans, they have to stay in repayment for 25 years before they reach forgiveness versus 20 years under page one. Right? So one of the more free, another one of the frequent complaints with student loan repayment is like, I don't want to be in repayment forever. Right? So 20 years sounds more appealing than 25 years for most people, right? But save because the payment is lower and because it has this unpaid interest subsidy, you can end up paying less, but you have to be okay with being in repayment longer compared to page one, right? So hence the pickle, right? It's, it, there's, no easy, there's no easy answer there, right? It really kind of comes down to, can you stomach being in repayment five extra years, knowing that it'll probably cost you less and lower the potential forgiveness tax at the end, right? So that's where the, using the next tool in the VIN Foundation Student Debt Center the student loan repayment simulator, right? So you take your My Student Loans information, you send it over to the student loan repayment simulator, you start plugging in your income family information, and we run projections, right? We can give you some objective measures of what does it look like if I switch my loans to save, right? Am I due to end up paying less than I am using Page Earn? And then the next question is can you stomach being in repayment for an extra five years, even if the numbers say this is a good idea, right? I, that, that part I can't really help answer for you. I tend to let the numbers make the decision, but you know, as we've learned painfully over the years, student loans go way beyond just numerical analyses, right? So uh, there are other components there that, that you're gonna have to wrestle with and, and, and come to the decision on your own. I was glad you walked through sending that information over to the loan repayment simulator because I, I know this stuff can seem really confusing, right? I mean, we're talking about plan switching and consolidation and for some reason there's a pickle involved and, you know, it can get, just get to be, <laughs> it's, not it's not, you know, and I know it can just get <laughs> this hour, but I do think like seeing the numbers laid out in front of you really starts to give it a little bit more context. Right. So like, these are my loan balances. You transfer that information over to the lower payment simulator. You use your, you know, adjusted gross income, your family size, the amount of years that you've been in repayment, as Tony has said, most of us have been in repayment, and if you've been out of school, you have you know at least three and a half, almost four years towards forgiveness already. That's one of the common things that we're seeing are people aren't including that in their simulations, um, and so just you know really maximizing those results to see what does this look like and start putting a little bit more meat to it. So it's not just these ideas that seem you know a little bit beyond what we're usually thinking about when we try to tackle our student loans. 
Third on our list of trends from the trenches are incorrect monthly, minimum monthly payments or those that are higher than necessary. So let's dive into this. What does that mean from a trend perspective? Yeah, this this gets back to uh, not only the general incompetence of the loan servicers, but the changing nature of the landscape while the uh, new student loan repayment plan was created and turning interest and payments back on kind of like a light switch. I mean, the system was really not set up for this. And as a result, there's been a lot of mistakes that have been made. I experienced this myself. So anybody who was using what used to be called revised pay you earn that was converted to save the new income driven repayment plan, their payments should be lower than they were under revised pay you earn. The formula says so, right? So the, they made some tweaks to the how they calculate the minimum monthly payment using save compared to how repay calculated your payment. The math shows that your payment under save would be less than it should be or was before under revised page one. That's not happening in everybody's case, right? That it happened to me, right? So I was expecting to see a monthly payment that was lower than my previous repay payment was, and it came back much higher, right? When I got my first statement from my loan servicer and that, that was confusing, right? And Mm -hmm. for anybody who has tried to call their loan servicer during this period, you know how painful it is, right? It's, it's literally hours on hold trying to get a hold of somebody. And then usually they blame you for doing something wrong. Right, which is not helpful in any stretch of the imagination. And the reality is most often they make the mistakes, right? So, but you have to know how to correct it, right? So you, you have to know how is the payment calculated, right? So in the WikiDebt area of the Student Debt Center, we have a discretionary income page that walks through all of that math. They're pretty basic equations, right? It's not hard to calculate what your payment should be using whatever you think the most recent income information you have is plus your family size, right? You can double check. You could do a quick math check of what that monthly payment should be using whatever plan that it is that you're enrolled in. And if the loan servicer has a higher number than you're calculating, then, then you have to find out why. And that unfortunately comes with waiting on hold to reach somebody there that can help you correct that. Now, you can try to go through the studentaid.gov universe. It has been going through a lot of changes, too. Some of those have been really helpful. I was finally uh, able to correct my payment through the studentaid.gov portal. Right? So you can electronically recertify your income, right? which is ultimately what allowed me to get my payment to what I expected it to be under save. And then essentially, they just send that information over to your loan servicer, and they, they make that your payment. right? So. Um, You can use that if it will work, although I had to go through the student aid portal a few different times until I got it to show me the number I was expecting, right? So don't let it dictate your monthly payment, right? Do the math on your end. You can use the student loan repayment simulator to check too, but if you want to check what your payment should be for just this next 12 months, plug it into that discretionary income formula for the plan that you're using. See what that minimum monthly payment should be. And if it's not within a few dollars of what you're seeing either in the studentaid.gov website or on your loan servicer portal, then ask why, right? Or go through the application again to see if you can get that uh, calculation to correct on its own. So uh, there's a lot of factors that go into why that is. Ultimately, it comes down to what is the latest income information that your loan servicer has on file, 
right? Some of them might have some different income information than you're expecting, right? Particularly if you provided some income information during the pandemic forbearance that you weren't expecting them to use. Um, they're using whatever they have most recently on file. There was a lot of loan servicer shakeup during the pandemic forbearance, right? So we lost a couple of loan servicers. A lot of those loans got moved over to new loan servicers uh, that sometimes that information didn't make it over appropriately. So they're showing you payments that don't make any sense whatsoever, right? So there's a lot of reasons why you may see an incorrect student loan payment, but it's worth your time to get it corrected, right? These income-driven plans, again, are designed to prevent you from paying more than your income requires you towards your student loans, right? So if you think the payment is too high and you can get a lower one, then get a lower one. Right? There's better things that you can do with your money, uh, particularly over the long term. It will also save you money on your overall student loan repayment as well. Right, So you want, ultimately want that minimum monthly payment to be as low as the rules allow under the most beneficial repayment plan for you. Right, And if you end up paying forgiveness, so be it. Right, Just be prepared for that potential tax at the end. If you end up paying your balance to zero, even using an income-driven plan, again, so be it. Right, That's At least you won't pay any more than a certain percentage of your income, so you have the rest of that income to use for other areas of your overall financial wellness. So we're also hearing that many, you mentioned higher payments and trying to get it lower, but we're also hearing about colleagues who are concerned that their payments are too low since they were set during a time when their incomes were lower and then they're assuming that they're no longer going to reach forgiveness. Yeah, that's and that's that has been a direct result of the pandemic forbearance, right? So if you go back in time to when that was created, right? The, the thought was, and, and, and for many people, there was some significant economic shock, right? And they didn't mm-hmm. want student loan payments to contribute to that, right? So they essentially turned it off like a switch, right? Turned the whole thing off. No interest, no payments were due. If you were using an income-driven plan, that time still counted towards forgiveness, right? And then that since then, they've even announced more benefits and changes along the way, right? But that means that your loans might represent a payment from three or four years ago, right? And your income may have significantly changed over that period of time, but that's okay, right? Your your renewal dates are such that they are pushed into the future as part of the pandemic forbearance benefit as well, right? So um, you're gonna wanna, that's part of that, uh, what I call student loan physical exam, right? So when you upload your student aid data file into the VIN Foundation My Student Loans tool, when you click the show details on any of those tabs in there, you'll see an anniversary date listed if you're using an income-driven repayment plan, right? And if that date is before March of 2024, then you can add one year to it until you get beyond March of 2024. They've done a much better job recently. The newer files definitely have more updated anniversary dates that showed dates into 2024 and even beyond. I've even seen some renewal dates that are out into 2025. It really just depends on what your renewal date was as you were entering that pandemic forbearance period, right? So if you've got a $0 payment because you graduated in 2019 and consolidated your loans and applied with a tax return from vet school, like we recommend that you were doing at that time, then you probably have had a $0 payment since 2019 and probably will until probably next May or June, 
right? So that puts you uh, five years into repayment with no payments towards your loans, right? And that that makes it really likely that you're going to reach student loan forgiveness, even if you've seen a significant increase in your income along the way, right? So don't discount that possibility just because your income is much higher than it was when you first graduated. That forgiveness time is just amazingly beneficial, right? So you want to run that simulation, make sure you include those years in repayment to see if you're still likely or projected to reach forgiveness and, and then take, you know, take the plan that makes sense accordingly. All right. And what other changes or information do you think that colleagues need to know right now? I would stress the importance again of that student loan physical exam, right? Just take a good look at your student loans. You know, I know there really hasn't been a lot of reason to know the different loan types you have, right? Or the different plans that you might have been eligible for or not eligible for. There are so many people that graduated around my time frame where they were just reserved to the outcome that the old version of IBR was going to be the best plan for them because all of the new iterations, either they weren't eligible for or didn't make sense for them because they were married, right? And that has all changed, right? Again, that kind of comes back to that um, IBR, the old IBR version is now obsolete, right? They finally created a plan that older borrowers like myself can benefit from even if you're married and it makes sense for you to file your taxes separately, right? So that was difficult before and it kind of pigeonholed you into the old version of IBR, but, but not anymore, right? The same applies for those that have even graduated well before I did, right? So some of the biggest benefits that I'm seeing are for veterinarians who graduated veterinary school in the late 1990s and early 2000s. And that's where that forgiveness count adjustment comes in. But some of them won't benefit from it if they don't get those loans consolidated before the end of the year, right? So I was just responding to somebody this week who had, who graduated veterinary school in 1998, but they have the older privately held fell program loans that are not eligible for this one-time forgiveness count adjustment. As soon as she consolidates her loans and that gets processed, her loans are likely to be forgiven tax-free because there's a special tax exemption on any student loan forgiveness if you receive it before the end of the 2025 tax year, right? So people that are looking at their student loans and wondering why am I still paying on them decades later, you may not have to anymore, right? But you have to make sure you're not missing out. Right. That same person, if they haven't reached out or they didn't or they don't consolidate their loans before the end of the year, they're stuck paying those loans the way they were paying them for the last 20 or 25 years. Right. So it's again, it's really worth your time to take a look at this stuff to hopefully get rid of what is repeatedly reported as one of the biggest stressors in our profession. Yeah. That being student loans. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, Tony, you hit it, you know, the nail on the head there. Cause I was going to say, you, you don't want to be the person that come January 1st is on the student debt message board or emailing Tony and I and saying like, well, what is this, you know, what is this one time forgiveness count adjustment? And how do I take advantage of it? And I, I don't want to have to tell you you're too late. Right. So do that student loan physical exam and, and start looking into this stuff now and, and make the moves that you need to to make to benefit from the ongoing programs. Now is the time to pay attention and to take action. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tony and Becca. And we will put a lot of information in the episode notes and add links to the blog post and more. Anything else you two want to leave our listeners with today? No, thank you again for allow, uh, allowing us to get the word out and um, 
you know, and please, anyone listening, if you have questions, don't hesitate to ask, right? I mean, it's, this is the time to do it, right? Again, you're kind of, you're kind of running out of time, right? So mm-hmm. um, we don't want you to kind of be on the outside looking in, particularly for any of these uh, time-sensitive benefits. I also want to say thank you to the people that have been on, on the message boards because you've been patient with us, which we greatly appreciate. But also just that sharing of knowledge and being able to help so many colleagues and, you know, learn from one another and everything else, because there have been so many changes and whatnot. So really, thank you to everyone for for sharing, you know, your stories. You can do it anonymously. And then also for your patience with us as we uh, work through everyone's student debt questions. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for reaching out and stay up to date. You can sign up for updates on the website. There'll be links in the episode notes. And stay alert, stay aware, and know the information. Now's the time to pay attention. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Becca. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.